Welcome to audio from Ballyhalbert Gospel Hall. Listen in as we open God's Word and share how it should impact our lives. We hope it blesses you. Good to see us all here. It's mid-June. You know what that means? If you're a teacher like myself, it means there's two and a half weeks left, and then it's the summer holidays. So, um, looking forward to that. You know, being off, being able to spend a bit of time more with my son and my wife, and just being off for the summer holidays. It's and I can see Kate's big smile there as well, come from ear to ear, and Katie as well. So, and I'm sure for many of you schoolgoers, you've been counting down the days as well, and you know exactly how many days are left. But as this summer is coming upon us, um, we might think that it's actually quite different to previous summers. Having said that, last summer was quite different too, wasn't it? And you might not be going away somewhere maybe quite as exotic as you might have been in the, in the past, maybe not somewhere quite as hot, although, of course, Valley Halbert's the sunniest place on earth anyway, so... I um, don't know why you want to go somewhere sunnier, isn't that right, Liam? <laughs> but, of course, you may not have the same plans as you might have had in previous summers. However, there's one of the things that's happening this summer is the Summer Olympics. And uh, I always enjoy watching the Olympics um, every Olympics time, which is usually every four years. But this year's a bit different because it's 2021, and the Olympics should have happened in 2020 had the Olympics been happening every four years, all the way back since the ancient Olympics, back in ancient, Greek, in, in ancient Greece even, in 776 BC, the Olympics was being held once every four years. And that was actually originally to do with some Zeus festival. But even since the modern Olympics restarted again, all the way back in 1896, if you want to call that modern, um, Liam, maybe you would, I don't know, but I'm <laughs> only joking. But uh, the modern Olympics back in 1896 had then kept on that tradition of having the Olympics happening once every four years, and that began in Athens. However, this summer, it's been five years since the last Olympics because it was on hold last year um, due to the pandemic. Now, it's in Tokyo this year, and there's been £18 billion pounds has been spent on the Olympics, which has been an awful lot. And I was actually listening to the radio there recently and hearing that even though they spent so much money in the Olympics, they're not expecting spectators. They're not expecting very many crowds at all, if any. Um, it's all going to be, of course, videoed and we can all watch it on the TVs. But for the runners and the weightlifters and all the rest of them, it's going to be very different for them because they're not going to be a whole lot of spectators watching them. And I'm sure you might have listened to the radio or watched the TV and heard different um, athletes talking about that and saying how they, some of them aren't really looking forward to the Olympics in the same way they might have done in the past because they're not going to have the, the cheering crowds urging them on. Um, now, the Christian life is often referred to as a race. And in Hebrews chapter 12, which is what we're going to be reading from today, we discover it's called a race. The Christian life is much like a race, and yet there are many spectators. There is a great cloud of witnesses. We're going to discover what that means in a wee minute. And much like the Olympians who were talking on the radio and you see on TV, you might ask yourself, is the Christian race worth it? You know, is it worth me joining this race? Is it worth the run? Is the life of the Christian, the life of those who believe in God, who have trusted in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross, is running that race called the Christian life, the race of faith, is it worth it? And we're going to see how it is. In fact, it's far more above and beyond we can ever imagine. But we're going to see that ourselves as we look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. 
So we're going to read that together now. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, or on your phones, um, and you'll also see it up on the screen as well. So Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a crowd, cloud sorry, of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And that's our reading, just those two verses, what we're going to look at today, and as we focus on the Christian life and focus on what it means to look at Jesus. That's going to be our main focus, is what it means to look at Jesus as we run this race. Now you'll notice in verse 1 there it said, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now what that really means is, there are, have been many who have run this race before us. You know, we're not the first Christians to have lived on this earth. There are many who have trusted in Jesus before us. And these great cloud of witnesses have ran the race and are examples to us, examples of faith. And actually in the chapter that came before this one, in chapter 11, we read of many of these great men and women of faith. And we read, for example, in chapter 11, verse 21, of Jacob. And he, he was known as a man of faith as he blessed Joseph, his son's children, and he died in worship to the Lord. Or we read of Rahab, who was known as a woman of faith as she welcomed God's spies into her home. We read of Sarah, who was known as a woman of faith as she bore a child in her, own, in her old age as she trusted that God could do this for her. We read of Noah, who built an ark. We know of him, perhaps. Moses, in chapter 11, verse 23 to 28, he was known for, as a man of faith as he left the life of a prince in Egypt to be mistreated with his fellow men. Or Abraham, he obeyed. He followed God to the unknown. He offered even his son Isaac as a sacrifice. We read of him in chapter 11, verses 8 to 12 and verse 17 as well. And then we read of King David in verse 32 and Gideon in verse 32 as well and more. Now, as we look at these great men and women of faith, it could be easy to think to yourselves, hold on, these people who ran this race were on fire for God and I can't do it. If I'm a Christian, I can't follow God the way these men and women could. And actually, it might help us to look a little closer at these men and women of faith to mention the same names. Jacob actually cheated on his brother to steal his birthright and was known as a liar. Rahab, she was a prostitute. Sarah, she was impatient and she laughed at God. Noah was drunk and he led, that led him to more shameful acts. Moses, you know, he wasn't perfect. He was a, not a great speaker. He was a murderer. Abraham, a liar. David had an affair. He was a murderer as well. Gideon, found it difficult to trust in God and was insecure at times. Now we read of these people and actually we discover that they're all flawed. As much as God called them, and they were men and women of faith, it didn't mean they were perfect. They were known as men and women of faith because they trusted in God, not because they were perfect or had life sorted. And whenever we look at these, this great cloud of witnesses in that light, that might give us a little bit of hope we can say, okay, maybe I'm not perfect. Maybe I can't live the perfect life. Maybe that gives me great anxiety and stress to think about living a life in the perfect way. Because so often I mess up and I mix up my 
what I do and I, I, I let sin get in the way and I fail over and over again. But if I can see that actually God's army of people are full of failures and yet he has brought us together in faith because we trust in him. It's Jesus. It's looking to Jesus that makes us men and women of faith. And that's what we read in verse 2, looking to Jesus. To discuss then the next part of the verse, it says in verse 1, let us run with endurance. I love the fact that it says that because the writer of the Hebrews, it might have been the Apostle Paul, but there's, it could have been someone else. There's a bit of a debate as to who wrote the letter to the Hebrews. But he says, let us run. He, say, he includes us with himself. You know, we as a church, if you're a Christian, you're not running alone. You're not running this Christian life by yourself. We are together in this. You know, we, we are encouraged to build each other up, to encourage each other. So long as it is called today, encourage each other. Look out for each other. Some of us are going through hard times in life. Some of us are finding it difficult. Look out for your fellow brothers and sisters. Because we're, we're told to run together. As we look at our prize, our great prize, Jesus Christ. It says there in verse 1, Let us lay aside every weight. And that can include those things that make us anxious and stressed and worried. But we cast our cares on Jesus who cares for us. To lay aside all those weights that hinder us. You know, you might have heard of the great Franklin expedition. Lord Franklin, he went from England to the Arctic Ocean um, on two sailing ships. And the sailing ships were loaded up with a whole lot of stuff. There was a whole big library there. There was a whole lot of china and a whole lot of crystal goblets and a whole lot of silverware. There was only actually 12 days worth of coal, funny enough. But in their expedition, they got trapped in ice. And they realized that they were going to die unless they found some way of escaping to freedom. So they all had to disperse into their little boats and their sleds as they were going over the ice. Now, two officers were found 65 miles out from the boat, dead. And the scary thing was that in their sleds, they were packed with table silver and ornaments and treasures that they thought they could take to the next place. And that became their downfall in a lot of ways as the weight pulled them back and carried them down and they couldn't get to their final destination to survive and to live. Their weights, they didn't let go of their weights. They held on to them. And often that can be the same for us. Keith and I, we do the Moor Mountain Marathon um, every year if we can. And uh, Keith will laugh at this. We, I had my backpack all packed up, ready to go for the, for the hike. And so did Keith. And we were just about to set off. And we were filling each other's backpacks. And we were both a bit heavy. So we thought we'd have a go at you know, making sure we lightened our load. And Keith was looking inside my bag and thinking, Drew, you've got so much food in this. Like, I'd made sure that everything else was light and I'd made sure everything was really as light as it could possibly be. But then, of course, um, I just stacked loads of food inside instead. And Keith was like, you're just going to have to get rid of this, Drew. Get rid of that. And I was like, oh, but look, that's a, that's a really nice sandwich. Oh, this, this looks amazing. Can I just not keep them all? And he was like, Drew, we're going to have to run this race. You have to go out let go of some of this food. So I did, left it in the car. I was very glad to be back to it after our run but of course that could be like us with the christian race we can hold on to things instead of letting it go and handing over our weights to god and letting him take control and looking to jesus as the great author and perfecter of our faith you know like peter who walked in the storm 
He was walking on water because Jesus said he could. He was walking towards Jesus. He was also walking on water. And then he looked away. He looked at the storm. He looked at the waves. He got scared. He panicked about all that was around him. And then he began to sink. But I'm so glad that's not the end of the story. He said, Lord, save me. Because God is a God of second chances. Jesus didn't just say, oh, you looked away from me. You looked at the waves. You know, goodbye. No, Jesus reached out his arm and brought him, brought him back onto the boat. God loves us. He cares for us. He wants us to run this race as Christians. If we trust in him, that's what it means to run this race. But we're not expected to do it by ourselves. We're expected to look to Jesus who ran this race ahead of us. The only one who could run it perfectly has done it for us. And we can hold on to him and trust in him and lay our anxieties on him. To lay aside our cares, our fretfulness, our ambition, our anger, our greed, our selfish desire, and our sin, says our sin which clings so closely. So often we can have our little darling sins, ones that we come back to over and over again. We need to cast those off as well and run this race. Stripped down like the Greek footmen did in their original Olympics and of everything that carries them down and run this race heavenward. We cannot win heaven and wear sin. Now, of course, as we think about that, you do think, well, may God help us. I cannot run this race perfectly. So we look at this second verse in more detail now. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, or the founder and perfecter of our faith. William Wilberforce, you'll have heard of him. He looked to Jesus. You know, he was a man who was discouraged in the early 1790s because for 10 years at this stage, he had had this battle against the slave trade in England and it felt like it was going nowhere. He pushed and pushed and pushed and there was always opposition coming back to him. It looked like nobody cared about the slaves. Nobody cared about the abolition of slavery. And he was fighting this battle and he felt like he was by himself. And one day, in desperation, he opened his Bible and a letter fell out one that he had read a long time ago, but he picked it up and read it again. It was from John Wesley, and he said this, John Wesley writing to William Wilberforce. He said, I see not how you can go through your glorious enterprise in opposing that abominable, abominable <laughs> practice of slavery. Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God is for you, who can be against you? Go in the name of God and in the power of his might. We're not expected to run this by ourselves because if we do, if we try to live our lives without God, it'll fail. Everything we do that seems good and profitable is as nothing before God if it's not done in him and through him. And that gives us tremendous peace because we know that God carries the weight for us so we can run this race that is set before us. I like the way in verse 1 it says, let's run this race that is set before you. And then verse 2 looking to Jesus, because it gives us this idea of looking straight ahead, something that's fixed, vocal point, that's the same, always the same, yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus never changes. It's like when you're running a race and you have a vocal point, you're looking somewhere, it helps you run in a straight line. You know, it's like in Luke chapter 9, for example, verse 62, Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And that's like a picture of plowmen. It makes me think of a competition, like plowmen who are plowing for a prize. And then the judges at the end say, a lot of you made a real harsh job of plowing. You're going all around the place. Um, where were you looking? Says one of the judges to one of the runners. Oh, I was looking at the furrow, he said, and, um, and I was making sure it was going in a straight line. Well, it wasn't, he replies. To the next competitor, he says, where were you looking? Oh, I was looking at the plow handles, making sure I, I, would, I was going straight. Well, you weren't, you were all over the place. 
What about you? He says to someone else. You ran this race straight on. Where were you looking? Oh, I was looking straight ahead to the tree, he said, making sure I was going that direction. He looked at a vocal fixed point, something that wasn't moving, and he won the race. You see, for us, we look to Jesus. Everything else changes. Nothing else can be fully trusted. But God alone is the only one we can fully trust. He alone is the one we can put all our eggs into the basket of. We can trust completely in him. Like, to make it more of a modern day example, as opposed to plowmen, if you're in a car and you're driving and you look to your phone to check a wee text and before you know it, your journey's over. You know, instead of looking ahead straight to the road. Or it's a bit like, to bring it back to the Olympics, you might, you might have heard of Matt Emmons and he's famous, or rather infamous, because despite all his great achievements, he's known for one thing, really. And that was back in 2004, whenever he was in Athens. He was a rifle shooter. And he was one shot away from winning the gold. He was the most promising candidate to get the gold. All he had to do was get a good shot, and he would win the gold. He didn't even have to get right in the center. As long as he can get close, he was getting the gold. But he lined up, he aimed, he shot, got right in the center of the wrong target. And of course, he actually didn't get the gold. He went right down to eighth position. He failed because he was shooting in the wrong direction. We need to make sure that Christ is our aim. If we look anywhere else, we're shooting in the wrong direction. A bit like this here, for example. So I brought this ice cream with me, which um, took it off my bike. Now you'll notice that um, wheels have been around for a long time all the way since 3,500 BC, apparently, according to Google. So I don't know if they're right or not, but um, this, this wheel is very similar to wheels even way back in the day. Of course, it's a bicycle wheel, but much like wheels for thousands of years, they're round. All wheels have been round, even all the way back since 3,000 years BC, because it works. That's how wheels work. They don't need to change. Now in the middle, we've got, of course, our hub, We've got lots of spokes, and we've got, of course, our rim as well. And John could tell you a lot more about how wheels and bikes work. But um, all these, if this rim, or this hub, sorry, wasn't in the center, if it was somewhere else, let's say it was here, the wheel would be going up and down like that, wouldn't it? Wouldn't really be, wouldn't be a very comfortable bike ride. Okay? Or if the wheel, if the hub wasn't fixed properly and was loose, then the bike would be going about that direction as well, wouldn't be going straight. But if the hub is in the center and it's well fixed and we are well fixed to the hub, then we can go in a straight line. And these spokes kind of remind me of the different avenues of our lives. If we are focusing towards Jesus with all that we do, the Bible says, if you eat or drink in my name, you do it to his glory. So everything we do, if we do it for Jesus, if we do it focusing on him, with him as our great focus and our run, then we will be able to run this race the way God has asked us to. So, we um, I'm going to look now in verse 2 a little bit more as to what it means to look to Jesus. Um, Jesus, number one, is the author of faith. We, just, we discover that here. He says the founder, or your version might say author of faith. We'll also see that he's the finisher, a perfecter of faith. He's the example of faith, and he's the goal of faith. I'm just going to look at those four things before we finish. So looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, or the author of faith, what does that really mean? 
You know, in a race, before you start off running, if you run, on, run before the time begins, before the gunshot goes or before the whistle is blown, if you run before everyone else, before the starter has told you to go, then it's a false start and your race is disqualified. We need to have Jesus at the start as the author of our salvation. Without him, then the race is disqualified. We need to trust in him alone, trust in Christ's sacrifice for us alone, not your feelings, not your ability, not your righteousness, certainly not, but on Christ's righteousness alone. We need to dive into what he has done for us. It's a bit like what John Bunyan, you might have heard of him, he writes The Pilgrim's Progress, and he writes about how a whole lot of people started their run, or started their journey, by tumbling over walls and starting the wrong way, going in in all sorts of irregular ways. And whenever they get to the celestial city, they discover that they're not welcome because they started incorrectly. And they discover there's a back way to hell. What a scary story. But it reminds us that if Christ is not our focus, if it's not Jesus that we've come into this salvation with, if we try to do it by ourselves, then we're not actually Christians. It's Jesus alone who saves. It's him alone who forgives us, who brings us into redemption, who gives us eternal life, because it's he alone who paid the price for us. You know, maybe you're here and you're not a Christian and you're listening to this about the race of Christianity and you're thinking, well, why should I? And it's important to re recognize what Jesus has done for us, for us to run this race. God knows that we're not perfect people. He knows that we're deserving of punishment for our sin, that is, our turning our backs to him. But he loves us, he cares for us, he created us, and what did he do? He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, who is perfect, who has done no wrong, into this life, into this world, to live as a man among us. He's God, he was before all creation, he created the whole universe, but he came into this world as a man, fully man and fully God, and lived the perfect life, ran the perfect race, lived the perfect life that we could never live, did no wrong. But at the end of his life, of a three-year ministry, he was 33 years old, he was young. He allowed himself, in fact, he ordained it that he would be killed by us. We tortured him, we spat upon him, we jeered at him, we, we mocked him, and we put him on a cross of wood, nailed him by his hands and his feet, and he allowed all of that to happen for us. He could have, the click of his finger, brought down a legion of angels and put an end to the whole thing, could have put an end to humanity, but instead, he took on that punishment that we deserved, that we can go free if we trust in him. And the story doesn't end there. Three days later, he came back to life and he now sits at the right hand of the throne of God, which is amazing. So whenever we see this great runner, the author of the run, then we're amazed by him. We're thankful, we're full of gratitude. We trust in him and then we can run the race. Another thought for the word author is like pioneer or the trailblazer he ran the race ahead of us and if you are a christian you've been a christian for a long time let's not forget our first love let's continue in him the author of our faith now let's look at the next part the finisher of faith or the perfecter of our faith so he's a rewarder of those who endure to the end when we get to the finish line he's not just the starter when we get to the finish line he gives us the prize the prize of him the prize of eternal glory the prize of heaven price of forgiveness and a relationship with him forever you can't just be a half-baked pancake you know we had pancake tuesday a while ago obviously and um, with my class and one of the kids had and um, was just so keen to get started into his pancake that once it was baked on one side he just 
started, he just took a big mouthful of it and it was disgusting. He spat it all out again because it was only half-baked. We start this run, we need to finish it by looking to Jesus. Remember his victory, his service, his sacrifice for us and his salvation. He's no longer the suffering saviour. He is now the risen and victorious saviour. We start the race as we look to the suffering Christ. We finish it as we look to the victorious Christ. He has paid the price that we can never pay. So, the next part then, Jesus, the example of faith. Looking to Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, I think this is amazing, because we think about the race, and we think about the, the idea of a race being the endurance and the perseverance that goes along with it, and you, and you think of it as a great weight, but we're told to lay aside the weight, and we're told it's a great joy. Jesus ran the race for the joy that was set before him, a deep-set joy. You know, Jesus did cry tears of blood in the garden of Gethsemane it doesn't mean that you're always happy clappy but a deep set joy where you're focusing on Jesus and you have a purpose to run to him you have the desire to give glory to him you want to share his name to others and he gives you a deep set secure joy in him and what he has done for you and the fact that he never leaves you he never forsakes you he's there with you in every single step of the way and we can give us this deep set joy to run the race that's set before us as he has done he did it for us, and we did it now out of gratitude to him. He endured the cross, and he despised the shame. I love the fact that it said he despised the shame. He endured the cross on one hand, but the shame he despised, despised the despisers. He wasn't ashamed of the gospel. In other words, he was full of joy for it, and we can be too, because it's an amazing gospel, a message worth sharing as we give glory to God in our lives as we have a purpose that has been given to us by God, as we feel his pleasure in us as we run this race. And then next, he endured the cross. He endured the cross right to the end. You know, as we run our race, Satan will leave many comfy armchairs along the way, but we can't be sitting down and, and giving up in our race to God. We focus on him, and we let him give us the strength to keep running. And then finally, the goal of faith. Looking to Jesus that bit there, looking to Jesus. He's the goal. He's the center. I want to just finish with that because that's what we have to come back to is the fact that we're looking to Jesus. He is our goal. He is our mission. Nothing else, nothing beyond Jesus will do. You know, many demand a new God, a new Christ, a new heaven, a new hell, everything but a new heart, don't we? But actually what we're asked to do is to focus on Jesus. The old, old story, the Jesus of today, yesterday and forever bask in him we don't need to go any kind of different direction to him but just focus solely on him we need nothing else but christ he is the author of faith he's the finisher of faith he's the example of faith he's our goal it's jesus christ you know you know, might know that song um fix your eyes upon jesus look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace Let's just focus on him. Let everything else go dim. Nothing else really matters at the end of the day. It's him that matters. It's he alone who can give you peace in the middle of your turmoil. You might be going through anxiety at the minute. You might be going through um, depression. You might even be going through um, a lot of worries and troubles and care. Let's just focus on him and, and, and trust in the fact that he cares for us. He loves us. He wants to take those burdens from us. He wants to hold us to cherish us. We, we love him because he first loved us. Let's focus on him. Let's let the rest of the world go dim 
as we focus on him and the glory that is set before us. Let's cast aside the weights and fix our eyes on Jesus. I just want to finish there. So we'll pray um, as we think about fixing our eyes on Christ. Dear Lord God, I just want to thank you so much, Lord God, that you are the great God who loves us. He loves us so much that you sent your son to pay the great sacrifice that we can never pay. Despite our sin, despite our turning against you, despite all that we have said and done against you, you love us so much that you sent your son to pay the price of our sin, that we can go free if we trust in you. Oh, what a wonderful message, Lord. What a glorious truth. What a wonderful race to be a part of where we can fix our eyes on you, not to be concerned by the weights and the pressures of the race, but to let the pressures and the weights be cast onto you. As we look to you, we fix our eyes on you, the one who could run the race perfectly. We fix our eyes on you, focus on you. Thank you that you run this race with us, that you are a great king. In your gracious name, amen.